We're continuing our series on Titus, which is kind of the basics of the church. We have two more weeks. We've got this week and next week. And if I could get another prayer request, I have I have a couple of I try to plan series of teachings in advance, um, you know, sometimes a couple of months in advance. And I have a couple of options and um, but I, I'm not really sold on on a final option yet. So uh, I need to decide in the next couple of weeks. So I pray for um I ask you to pray for me in those times of preparation and study that you would um, that God would kind of give give me some direction on where to go. So uh, ask that. But we got two more weeks here in the book of Titus and we are in Titus chapter three today. And to review kind of where we uh, where we have been, we've seen that uh, the mission of the church we've seen the importance of expository preaching in the church the commitment to sound doctrine in the church the appointing of qualified leaders in the church uh, whole body discipleship in the church so the uh, older men uh, younger men uh, or younger men older women uh, how do they go older older women younger women younger men older men older men um, and then last week we looked at uh, the gospel grounded grid. So how many of you remember this? The, the three G's from last week, which was guilt, grace, and gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. And there was a fourth G. And um, Paul texted me after the service. And they all have lunch together as a family afterward. And they have a table discussion. Paul Spica, the speakers do. And they were guessing what that fourth G was. And I think the unanimous, unanimous consensus was it was guacamole. <laughs> guacamole was the fourth G. And I was like, they know me well. That's actually pretty. If it wasn't the fourth G, it is now. So there's the fourth G today. It's guacamole. Uh, it is not guacamole. It is good works. Good works. And that is, uh, that is a term. Good works and works is a, uh, is a term that occurs in many places in this letter. We've seen them several times. We've, we've read them already many times. There, it's actually in every chapter, 1, 2, and 3. And it's in um, the, uh, the reading for today, which is uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. 1 through 8. So if you follow along as I read, it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward, towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for the people. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. So you notice this even a couple of times just in this chapter alone. The, the reference to works or good works. It's the Greek word ergon, where we get the word like ergonomics from, from that word. It's related to the word also where the, the word where we get energy. So it's, it's a work. And as I said, it's in every chapter in the book of Titus. And so there's a couple of lessons. So we'll actually be pulling back from a couple of these verses as well as, as, well as looking at the, its usage here in this passage. And there's a couple of lessons I want us to, to focus on, on this idea of good works. And where it fits in this schema that we've given here of uh, this gospel grounded grid of guilt, grace, and we said gratitude, and then also good works. And here's the first lesson. Um, hopefully I have the right slides here. Oh, here we go. Lessons on good works. First lesson is, and you can follow along in your handout, um, faith that doesn't result in good works is a false faith. Faith that doesn't result in good works is a false faith. And the reference for this is back in chapter 1 in verse 16. A little bit of the context, remember he began by talking about why he left why Paul left Titus in Crete was to appoint leaders there. And he kind of gives some qualifications for, for leaders. And then in the, um, the immediate, uh, that was in verses 5 through 9. And then immediately following those qualifications of somebody who's to be a model leaders, model Christians for the, the rest of the church community. He says about some bad models, bad examples in verses 10 through 16. Verse 10 says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. And he goes on about how they need to be to be silenced and that they need to be rebuked sharply, not only for their bad behavior, or bad conduct, but also the bad things that these this group was was teaching. And of this group, Paul says in verse 16, let's look in 15 uh, to the pure. All things are pure but to the defiled he's describing them as defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled they profess to know god but deny him by their works same word here they are detestable disobedient and unfit for any good work okay so the word works is used twice here and he's saying they're denying, they, they deny God by their works, by what it is that they do, by their conduct. And they're unfit for any good one. And he's talking about those who were a part of the church in some way. Right? Verse 11, they must be silenced. They're, they're upsetting whole families by coming in and teaching things for shameful gain, gain that they ought not to teach. They were devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of the peoples. Okay, we saw this 
near the beginning of this series. So these are ones who were, were professing faith, but Paul is pointing out their, their faith is not a genuine faith. They actually are, by their works, denying God's, God's existence. Some, um, some people, when they look at the Bible and look at the New Testament in particular, they like to kind of create a tension between Paul and what he says about works and faith with James and what he says about works and faith. There's kind of this battle between Paul and James. Paul is the one who would say that we are justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. James, on the other hand, says, well, but a faith that's a genuine and true faith will have works. And I think that what Paul and James are saying are basically saying the same thing, looking at it from two different perspectives. They're, they're not at odds with each other. If you wanted to look at James, you could turn to uh, James's letter. Just turn to the right a couple of books. And you could see uh, a couple of verses there in James chapter 2 where he's dealing with this, with this issue. Deals with all of this in verses 14 through 26. But a couple of verses I want you to take a look at. James chapter 2, um, verse 17 and 18. Where James says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 22, he says, you see that faith was active along with his works. I think this is reference to Abraham here. Faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And then verse 22, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Paul is basically making that same kind of argument that James was making. Here in verse 16, the reason that they are not able to to do good good works is because they have a fake or... um, False faith. Or put it this way here. Genuine faith will ultimately prove itself as true through good works. So a genuine saving faith. Again, we're justified by faith alone. But a faith that justifies is never alone. A genuine faith will always manifest itself in good works. So genuine faith will ultimately prove itself as true through good works. And counterfeit faith will ultimately prove itself as false through either the doing of evil works or through the, the, the absence of works. In other words, the God who saves you will change you. And that change will result in good works. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you actually become a new creature. You have a new new nature. God's spirit dwells within you, and he puts in you the desire to follow God, to follow his commands, and to do good. I think that's what Paul is emphasizing here in the first chapter of Titus. 
Also, by the way, for Christians, there's a corresponding side to this. Not only would we do good works, but the Christian is to put away evil works. A couple of passages in this regard. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, he says, but instead expose them. Colossians chapter 1. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds or evil works it's the same word or romans 13 night is far gone the day is at a hand so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light so christians who have a genuine faith in christ will manifest itself in doing good works and putting to death evil works and this is why Paul tells Titus to be a a model, not only of faith, but also of good works in chapter two, verse seven. Show yourselves in all respect to be a model of good works and in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. So that's the first lesson. Here's the second lesson. We are saved by good works. We excuse me. We are not saved by good works. It's important to say that right. We are not saved by good works. And we see this in verse 5 of chapter 3 that we just read. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Paul says this elsewhere in Romans and Galatians in very famous passages. You don't have to turn there. I'll read them to you. But Romans 3 and Galatians Two are some excellent passages that spell this out. Romans chapter three, verse 20 says, for by works of the law, no human being will just be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And verse 28, he says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law is basically the same thing galatians chapter 2 verse 16 yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in jesus christ so we also have believed in christ jesus in order to be justified by faith in christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified so he doesn't say hey go to Go and look at what God's commands are in this law. These are good deeds. We need to just do those in order to get acceptance from uh, God. What he says here is actually the law is actually points out through the law that comes knowledge of sin. I've heard this illustration. You may have heard this before, too, that the law is kind of like a mirror. That we look at the God's perfect and uh, moral law and he's it's a mirror to us to show us our need for a savior. And he says, the illustration goes like this. Um, It would be like looking into the mirror and seeing that your face is dirty and then trying to clean your face with the mirror. It doesn't work that way. We are only cleaned and declared righteous through faith in, in Christ. So we're not saved by good works. That's the second lesson. And the third one is, but we are saved for good works. Verse 5, he says, we are not saved. He saved us not because of works done by by us in righteousness. And then in verse 8, he says, 
This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, those who have professing faith in God, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Okay, so we are not saved by good works, but having become saved through faith in Christ, we are saved for good works. This is very uh, similar to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. I've, I've got these on the slide here. Where he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And then he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. See how that flows? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the Christian, once saved by grace through faith, is now free to do good. Not on the basis of performance or merit, but out of gratitude for what God has done. Remember the four G's. We go from guilt to grace to gratitude and then to good works. Or I spell it out here and I use emojis too to make this even clearer. Guilt, grace, gratitude, good works. Yes, guilt leading to good works in the hopes to gaining grace is not it. It's not it. So guilt, grace, gratitude, good works. So we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And then here's a couple of other lessons to round uh, this out. We are to be ready to do good works. Verse one of chapter three. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Paul says almost the, uh, uh, an identical phrase in 2 Timothy 2.21. Um, to, it's another one of the pastoral letters, 2 Timothy 2. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So what does it mean to be ready? Uh, the Greek term here is just a state of readiness. Right? That doesn't help a ton, right? A state of readiness. However, how it's used, it's used in a couple of places to describe um, dinner and having guests over for dinner. So you would prepare dinner or you would prepare a wedding feast or you would prepare the Passover. You guys, remember when uh, we had uh, the last couple of years when we would do kind of the Seder dinner type thing on Good Friday um, and so, um, like Amanda and Jared and so a couple of other volunteers, they would, everybody would prep some things and bring some things. And we were planning on this and working a long time. And how many, how many hours were we here beforehand? Three, four, you know, so of course, because you, you showed up here and you've got the nice cups and the candles and all kinds of things and everything's laid out really nice. That's the idea here, being prepared, being prepared. It's not the idea of, well, just come on over and once you get here, we'll figure out how to do dinner. 
how many, how many people get a little bit of hives at the idea of inviting neighbors or friends over and just say, and we'll figure it out when you get here. My wife's not raising her hand. She should raise her hand. Yes. <laughs> I would like it. I'm like, yeah, show up. We'll order something. Um, but no, because she likes to be ready. You want to prepare. Jesus uses this word in a couple of places. Uh, speaking about when he was going to return and come back. Talking about um, like the son of man's return. It's going to be like kind of like the days of, of Noah. Um, or like the two men and two women in a field, two men in the field, one's taken, one's left, two women in the field, two women at the mill, one is taken and one's left. And he says, therefore, you also must be ready. The son of man is coming at an hour. You don't know. It's the same, same term or the parable of the, the 10, the 10 virgins, the five wise ones and the five foolish ones. And, you know, the ones kept ready for when the, the um, bridegroom was going to come. Uh, the others were not prepared. When he shows up, they didn't have enough oil. And so they're asking for them to share. And they're like, well, if you, we share with you, it won't be enough. And so the five have to go and they don't make it to the, the wedding feast. And Jesus says, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. That's the idea here. Ready. Ready to do good works. How many of you guys lay your clothes out the night before? Well, that didn't work. Okay, let's try to find another <laughs> illustration here. Uh, right, like you try to lay things out and be prepared, to, you know, beforehand. Some people do that that don't live here or, you know, or not here. But there are people out there who do that. Um, and the idea is that so when you get up, you're ready. Boom, you can start your day and be prepared. Have you ever thought about that level of readiness for good works? Being ready for every good work, he says. So I imagine Eddie, not deported, deployed. Eddie, Eddie has to be ready. He's prepared. Matt, in the service. You had to be ready. You didn't show up with your gear not ready when you would go on to an assignment. You had to be ready. Have you ever thought that Scripture commands, calls Christians to be ready at a moment's notice for every good work? Especially considering what we saw in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, he said, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Have you thought about that? The sovereign ruler of the world who saves you through faith in Christ calls you in obedience to do every good work and that those works, Paul says, are prepared beforehand. God has good works for you to do today that he prepared before you got up this morning. So if God has prepared them beforehand for us to walk in them, 
then what could you do to be ready? So we're to be ready to do good works. Number four, lesson number five, we are to be zealous for good works is the term he uses in chapter two, verse 14. And this is in that great, there's two really dense, you know, gospel rich passages here in Titus. The one we, we just read was part of our reading in chapter three, that he saved us not by works of righteousness, but according to his own mercy and the washing and regeneration and renewal. The same thing happens at the end of chapter two. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for the blessed hope the appearing of our glory of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are what zeal who are what zealous for were you guys at the page there we go. Who are zealous for good works. So we're to be ready for good works, prepared beforehand, and so we're to be zealous for it. What does it mean to be to be zealous? It's the uh, so you know, um, in the the gospel accounts with Jesus, one of the groups of disciples was a zealot, right? You remember that. Which was, which was kind of a political wing, like a radical Jewish wing uh, in first century Palestine. They were the ones that were trying to, they were the resistance. They were the Antifa of, of that day. They were the, the zealot ones, or sometimes they were called the dagger bearers because they would have you know, daggers under their cloaks and they would commit assassination attempts. And Jesus actually calls one of these guys to be one of his disciples. But they were called zealots. It's the same word. So if that gives you a little bit of a picture here, zealous, every waking moment, ready and excited. These guys would be every waking moment they get up and their mission was to go and overthrow the Roman Empire. Every Facebook post was about this thing. They had Facebook back then, right? Like this, this zealot. Paul here says, when we were redeemed by Christ, brought into relationship with Christ, that he's doing this, he's creating his own possession, his own people who are zealous for good works. I like the way that uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, put it in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, it's not in my notes here, so give me a moment here to look this up. Um, but... In Hebrews chapter 10, um, verses 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by, by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and let our hearts be sprinkled clean with water from every um, pure conscience. It goes on here, verse 23. Let us also hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he has promised, for he who promised is faithful. And then verse 24. And let us consider 
how to spur one another on to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That verse 24, let us consider, it's kind of an ongoing consideration. You're meditating and pondering it. It's like you're in a constant brainstorm session is there. Let us consider how to stir one another up. That's the term for inciting a, a riot. Hey, make it your kind of constant, like you could constantly be brainstorming ways of inciting a riot of good works. Yeah, wow. Wow. So I love the way that the writer of Hebrews puts it there, and I think that that's what is behind this idea of zealous. Being zealous for good works. May we be zealous for, for good works. And then lastly, number six, we are to be devoted to good works. Verse 8 and verse 14. Uh, the saying is trustworthy, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And then in verse 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to be uh, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Okay, so again, good works accompany our profession of faith, those who have believed in God, and that we must be careful to do so. Be careful to devote ourselves to it, meaning it's intentional, it's planned. Deliberation is given to it. That it must be in accordance with, with God's revealed will. And let me add at this point that taking care to do what God's will is here, uh, being being careful to devote yourselves to it. There's a, a little element here that is that we need to, to figure out what what truly is a good work and what isn't. Or what is from from God and which ones are from man. And so for this, I want to read to you a section here from uh, the, the study that the men are going through. This is way, we haven't gotten this to this yet, but in chapter 16, on a chapter on good works, the role of good works in the, in the Christian life, it begins with the very first paragraph this way. And I think it was, it was helpful to read this in light of these things, to be reminded of this. He says this, and I'm using the modern English version because some of the guys were like, man, I got to read this thing over and over and over again. Uh, so I'm giving you the modern English one here. And again, this is how it begins. Good works are only those works that God has commanded in his holy word. Works that do not have this warrant are invented by people out of blind zeal. So not the zealousness that Paul is talking about here, but a blind zeal or on a pretense of good intentions and are not truly good. Might be helpful to when we're thinking about taking care to be devoted to good works that we keep in mind the good works that God prescribes for us are in his in his word. And what could be necessarily contained or derived from them. And to uh no matter the, the good intentions of other people who might come and say, 
but, it, but really good works are these things too. If they are not part of God's word, um, we need to be careful to differentiate those, those two, okay? And let me give you an example of uh, kind of what I mean here, where uh, Jesus is, um, rebukes the kind of laws and commands and rules and things that are done by uh, human persons, Matthew chapter 15, um, starting in verse 6. And here he's talking about this, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're accusing Jesus of breaking the tradition of the elders. You know, your disciples don't wash their hands while they eat. They didn't use the hand sanitizer before you came into the store. And he answered them, well, why do you, why do you, why do you guys break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God had commanded, honor your father and mother, right? That's fifth commandment, father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Whoever reviles his father and mother must surely die. But you say, and he was talking about this rules that they had in place during that day, which was considered a good work. Um, you guys say, well, if anyone tells his father or mother what, what I would have given to you to help you in your situation of destitute, I have actually devoted as a gift to God already. And so I can't, I can't help you because I've already devoted that to God. And so Jesus says to, to them, so for the sake of your tradition, which by the way, was not part of Scripture, not in God's revealed word. This was one of the traditions of the elders, it says in verse 2. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. How this pertains to this idea of good works, as this paragraph points out, you're going to get a lot of suggestion from good meaning people, people with blind zeal that are going to tell you these are good works, when in reality they may not be. Our authority on determining what those good works are or aren't is God's word, the scriptures. And so as we are seeking to be careful to be devoted to good works. Let's make sure we know which good works are which. Okay? So here's the framework. Guilt, grace, gratitude, and good works. We saw it in chapter 2. We saw the guilt of chapter 2, verse uh, verses... 12 about the ungodliness and worldly passions from which we are rescued by God's grace in verse 11 the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people ended to good works in verse 14 a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works the same thing happens here the same pattern chapter 3 we go from guilt verse 3 you were foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and then we have this wonderful announcement of grace, verses 4 through 7. 
the kindness, loving goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, as shown and poured out onto us richly through Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And then from that comes. Those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are good and profitable for the people. These are uh, they're so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Guilt, grace, gratitude. A faith that doesn't result in good works is false faith. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And we're to be ready and zealous and devoted to good works. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the, your, your grace. We thank you that you have redeemed us through Christ and not because of any merit on our behalf, but purely on the merits of, of Jesus himself. God, we thank you that you would condescend to us and in the midst of our guilt and and our rebellion against you and our wickedness, that you would rescue us. And that you would, through Christ, enable us to do what we should be doing all along as people made in your image. But we thank you that the only way that we can do that is by being united to Jesus, who is the true and perfect image of God. So God, help us. In light of that grace that you've shown us, God, help us to walk in the good works that you've prepared for us beforehand. May we be ready and zealous and devoted to doing so. We ask that you would, by your spirit, would empower us to do that. And it is in Christ's mighty name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. And amen. Hey, brothers and sisters, stand for our uh, closing benediction this morning. And reminder, the offering box is over on the back. Uh, um, and to be uh, to continue to pray for the um, the prayer requests that we talked about earlier today. And if you have any questions or any particular things that you'd like prayer for and like to come see me afterward, uh, I'd be glad to uh, to to pray with you. Um, changing it up a little bit today. Here is our benediction from Hebrews chapter 13. Now, brothers and sisters. Now, may the God of peace. Who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Thank you.